Hi everyone, I'm Tanya Luna, psychology researcher and educator. And I'm Brian Luna, and I believe in Bigfoot because he damn sure believes in me. And you're, you're listening, listening to, to Talk Psych to me. me, a show where we take research out of the lab and into the street. Let's get into it. Hi friends, usually we record this podcast in New York City. Today we're coming to you from Los Angeles. Whoop, whoop. So wah, wah, wah. Honor, is that the sound of Los Angeles? That's in your if mind? I were to sum up Los Angeles in one word, it'd be like, "Hey, go street!" Wah, wah, wah. You know, doom, doom, doom. So if you hear any noise in the background, that's why. Or it's me. Or it's Brian. <laughs> <laughs> so in honor of this glamorous, star-studded city, today we're going to be talking about the psychology of popularity. Ooh. How does that sound to you, Brian? I think you're talking to the right man. Why is that? Because I'm very popular. I see. <laughs> <laughs> in our house, in our apartment, I'm the most popular living thing. Because people are always talking about you. They're always like, why didn't Brian put the drink back in the fridge? No, no, it's not It's not infamy. It's, I, I'm very popular. It's and I, like the dogs, I think the dogs are a little more excited to see me than they are with you. Okay. And same with Logan. You know, believe it or not, you're actually getting into a few dimensions of popularity. That's so we're going to So we're going to really explore that to today. To get into dimensions. <laughs> and as much as I hate to say it, the research indicates that there is a pretty big impact of someone's popularity level. So I think it's a worthwhile conversation. For example, mm-hmm. neuropsychologist Naomi Eisenberger conducted a meta-analysis revealing that when we're socially rejected, the pain of that feeling actually maps onto the neural pathways for physical pain. So feeling left out or forgotten actually hurts. Why do you think the brain might have evolved that way? Well, I guess because we are social creatures and the idea that even early man, you know, uh, what's that? I'm saying man in in the royal sense. Royal man? You think that makes it better? Man in like capital M, like humanity, manatee, people. Yeah, that's what we do in I 2020. Hate people. Um, so, uh, so people are, are are tribal. Being on your own meant your ass was saber tooth tiger food. Mm-hmm. Then it would that pain it's unsafe. would lure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like how Eisenberger puts it. She writes the social attachment system may have co-opted the pain system, borrowing the pain signal to prevent the detrimental consequences of social separation. Which is exactly what I said. Yeah, but I didn't use all that those Scrabble killers. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. I didn't use the ex, you know. But who would have won at Scrabble, you or Eisenberger? Eisenberger, but I I was more popular. <laughs> I would, I would have have killed her because no one would want to talk to her. She'd have been out there with a saber tooth. (laughs) So being popular or rejected, okay, this is going to blow your mind, I think. This Uh is the thing that like all week I've been wanting to tell you, but I'm like, I have to save it for the podcast. It's going to be so sad if you're like, oh, okay. No, no, okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Let me me prepare myself because now I got to... Get ready to be so excited about these research findings. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so being popular or rejected even impacts us at a genetic level. That's pretty cool. Researchers Stephen Cole and team found that being rejected Uh activates genes that get our white blood cells more active in a way that increases inflammation, which is an immune response to fight wounding and bacterial Uh. infection. And I'll just give you the flip side and then we can try to tease out why this is happening. And when we feel included, it switches on genes that improve our immune system's ability to fight viruses like colds. So wouldn't it be the other way, though, that if I was unpopular, I would need that extra boost? Both give you a boost. Oh, I see. When you're isolated, you're better able to fight infection from wounding. When you are social, it allows you to have... Keep you from spreading germs to others. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's pretty... Is that wild? That's pretty cool. So wait, so... But since it's a genetic thing... If I'm unpopular in high school, which I mean, let's come on. 
I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> but if I was, say say in, a, in, in their dimension, there's a little lonely Brian out there. Yeah. Genetically. Yeah. Is my kid going to be <laughs> alone or two? <laughs> to my knowledge, it doesn't pass on your genes to other people in that way. Okay. But we're also talking about epigenetics. Epigenetics is the study of gene expression, okay. not genetics okay. themselves. So essentially what this research is showing us is that there are genes that we all have, mm-hmm. but they get switched on or switched off depending on the environment that we're in. DNA regrows every six months or so. Mm-hmm. So little unpopular Brian in whatever that alternate universe is, he would have six months to find a group of friends. And then it's uh-huh. possible okay. that the DNA expression would change. And his name would be Ryan. Ryan? Mm-hmm. Or Brian with a Y. <laughs> just, I mean, just putting it out there. It has nothing to do with For everyone who's going to be like, oh, I'm Y with a Y. But yeah, I'm talking about this particular Brian yeah. with a Y. Just to keep things clear yeah, when we're yeah, talking just, about the two different Brian's yeah. and the two different dimensions. So just to clarify again, uh-huh. the thinking behind why our genes act in this way is that when we're in a group of people, we're most at risk for spreading yeah. viruses. We sneeze on each other mm-hmm. and stuff in close quarters. When we're isolated, there's more of a likelihood of a predator of damage. tearing sure. off your arm or yeah. something like that. Yeesh. And then you actually need to be better at fighting off that infection. The problem is, of course, that if you're chronically feeling lonely or isolated, mm-hmm. that means you're chronically more uh, susceptible to viruses because you don't have that heightened immunity. So you get sick more potentially. And you have chronic inflammation because your body's constantly preparing to be torn apart, basically. Jeez. So that results in a whole host of illnesses. There's some research indicating Alzheimer's and even cancer. Hmm. I'm sure depression as well, like symptoms of depression, it's probably because, you know, you're alone and you're isolated and that's not Yeah, they, they go hand be. in hand. So I think this is an important thing to talk about because mm-hmm. it impacts us physically. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know that. Well, so your mind is blown, know. just for the record? My mind is completely... If I'm sounding like it isn't, it's just I'm trying to be chill LA. You know how like when you're out here, like nothing's... Yeah, no big deal. Everything's like... Epigenetics yeah, is just like... Uh, I've already seen oh, that what last was year. <laughs> um, we were the first ones to have it. So like, you know, it's whatever. It turns out that even three-year-old kids can quickly predict who will be the most popular and who will be the most unpopular. This is really, I think, kind of messed up. The most common way this type of research is conducted, whether it's in the school or in the Mm -hmm. workplace, is you show participants a list of names and then you say, who do you like the most? Who do you like the least? Just based off the names, like without even seeing the people. They're people that they know. Okay, okay. So Yeah, it's a list of names of people that are either in their school or that work with them. And then they say, circle the ones you like the most, circle the ones you (laughs) like the least. Jeez. But isn't that usually the ones that are like a little more outgoing are going to be the most popular as opposed to like the shyest one? Well, Um, it's interesting. It actually gets more complicated than that because just being the one that speaks up first Mm -hmm. or wants to play more or interacts more doesn't tell you the whole story. Yeah, I was just thinking that too because there's that hyper kid and there's that one that's like, we didn't get any homework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, all right. What do you think some of the other predictors of popularity might be? Let's talk about among kids. I got it. There's always a kid out there who's like outgoing but brings people in. Like, let's all play so-and-so and I'm David Crockett. Uh, or so I'm saying I'm so thinking this is how the they Alamo. played in Texas? No, in the Alamo. We used to play the Alamo. So, I got to uh, tell you, growing up in New York, <laughs> I was never David Crockett. <laughs> Is it David or Davy? Davy. Davy. David, never David to people he just met, but Davy to his friends. David in the alternative universe. Where, where he didn't have a coonskin cap. And so like, where he had no friends. Yeah, he had zero friends. Okay, so. Okay, so like the kid who came out wanted to play and brought everybody together. Let's do this. So there's a leadership quality. Yes. Okay, yes. anything else? What would you predict would lead to popularity or unpopularity? Unpopularity would be like kiss ass or like a kiss up. Uh, anybody who like raised their hand, was outgoing, but only for their own self. 
I want to show how smart I am, which I mm-hmm. picture that was a lot like you. You're nodding at me like that's an insult. <laughs> I could see where you'd see that. And, and also one other thing, I'm sorry, humor. Because like humor is inclusive. Uh, if I make a joke in class and everyone laughs... I'm not saying me. Why you're do I feel at me like, like you're just describing no, yourself? No, 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 no. I know, it, but I wasn't. I Little wasn't, Brian Luna no, being Davy Crockett. No, no. I didn't. I I was very shy actually uh, in my earlier developing years, if you believe that or not. At home, I was very unpopular. <laughs> so, so like I didn't. It didn't. That transferred over to school. But like being uh, the funny kid would always like make a joke and everyone would laugh and that brings people together because yeah. like we're all in the same pot. So right? being funny. Some level of intelligence, as long as you're not boastful about mm-hmm. it, leadership qualities, maybe some level of being outgoing. So psychologists John Coey, Ken Dodge, and Heidi Capitelli. One name. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you call those? Transformer? Yeah, like it's a transformer. Oh, jeez. Where all I wish, you could, see, I wish you could see what she thinks a transformer is with her hands. <laughs> but you knew what I was yes, talking about. Yes, I knew exactly what you meant. So I was affected. <laughs> Okay, so this Transformer set of psychologists, they all band together. And I think you mean Voltron. (laughs) Nerd. They become the Voltron of psychology. And they study grade school kids in terms of popularity. Mm -hmm. And what they find is that in grade school, popularity basically means likability. We find out that as kids get older, it gets more complicated. But for the time being, starting with kids, essentially they're just looking at likability. And through their research, they find five distinct social groups popular number one rejected number two neglected controversial and average so average is just average but you need average to define popularity most people are average yeah let's face it so damn basic <laughs> God, la sorry guys this is la talking this is tanya la hitter i mean hard. statistically <laughs> statistically speaking most people are average because otherwise it wouldn't be average Popular, their names were circled more often than others. They were the ones that were on the strongly liked list. Okay. Rejected were the kids that were circled most as strongly disliked. Neglected are the kids that no one picked at all. You would think that that's the same, but you're right. It's not. It's not. So average are the ones some people like, some people Mm -hmm. disliked, whereas neglected, no one's thinking of them. Those are the ones probably in many ways most at risk Mm. of feeling some of those negative physiological experiences of social isolation. And controversial were the kids that some people loved and some people hated. So, for example, the class clowns. Hey, why are you looking at me? (laughs) The controversials are really interesting because Mm. up until this Voltron group of researchers got together, we all kind of have experienced or maybe been, but don't get a lot of attention in the research. They're also the most popular in film. Like, if you have a band of misfits, it's the one smartass. Like, if you think of Bill Murray in early comedy, like Stripes, where he was the controversial because he was funny to us. Interesting. And he was a pain in the ass to, like, the rest of the troupe. Controversial uh, is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they learned that popularity is positively correlated with being cooperative and attractive. So basically, if you're nice, if you're friendly, if you're easy supportive on the and easy on the eyes, <laughs> that seems to matter from a very, very early age. That is a predictor of popularity. That goes hand in hand with more popularity. And popularity is negatively correlated with being disruptive and aggressive, Okay. except in the case of controversial kids who are both aggressive and likable. Oh, uh, if you look at... The Breakfast Club, one of the most iconic movies in terms of representing all these sets of kids. And then Judd Nelson. 
you know, he was the controversial, he was aggressive, he was a real jerk in the beginning, and then at the end, he pumps his fist in the air, he gets Molly Ringwald's ring, uh, earring, <laughs> he's the man. Also, I, I would say the controversial one is probably easy on the eyes, too. Yeah, I think that often goes hand in hand yeah. as well, right? Because you're like, oh, I want to look at you, but I don't like you, the so bad I'm boy, so right? Or the bad girl, like uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in, in Greece too. Yeah, you know, possibly. She's, yeah, possibly. She yeah. wanted to be. She's a cool writer. An important thing to point out is that rejected kids. You know, you talked before about being outgoing. They actually often started out being outgoing and social and trying to play with others and being really mm-hmm. friendly, but it's almost like they seem to be really bad at reading the room. So when yeah let's say everyone was coloring, they'd be like, hey, let's play with blocks. Mm -hmm. And it actually pushed other kids away because they were coming on too strong. And you can actually see this later on in life as well because the rejected kids in many ways don't get a chance to develop their social skills, particularly when it comes to reading the room and knowing when it's the right time to speak up and to jump in. God, it's so funny we're talking about kids, but this applies to groups now. Yeah, exactly. So the popular kids, when you looked at their play patterns, they actually hung back and didn't over-participate at Mm -hmm. first. And then they become more playful once they have a better sense of what the other kids like. So question of the hour for you, Brian Mm -hmm. Luna. Which were you? Popular, rejected, neglected, controversial, or average? Early in my development, like elementary school, I would say I was either average or neglected. At home, I I I was the little brother and... There was a lot going on in terms of our family dynamic, and I don't think I really found my footing there. So when I I didn't really know who I was at home, and I spent a lot of time by myself reading comic books and such, and then I would get to school and didn't feel like I had anything to talk about or, or, or say. I was really close to my teachers <laughs> and the Aww. people that, that worked in the in the library. And, so you were and, the miss you forgot to give us homework. No, 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 no. I, was, I wasn't that either. I didn't have a lot of confidence. You, know, you didn't I want just a lot did, of attention. Yeah, I didn't want a lot of attention. And it wasn't until I got to like third grade when I started re-using the jokes my brother did at home at school and people laughed and I was like, oh, this is much better. Wait, you were stealing your older brother's material? I was totally stealing his material. Yeah, I was like, jokes that he would use and he'd make the family laugh, I would bring him over. <laughs> and uh, and then I would also, I was watching like Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy in the first and second grade and their stuff was really raunchy. And um, I would take these jokes that I didn't know about like genitalia and I didn't understand them. Like genitalia or like sex and I would replay them and all the kids would hear is the bad word and laugh and I was like wait so did you co-op their jokes as well and not give them credit so you were doing Richard Pryor's material yeah in third grade? I did his whole sunset strip in the second grade <laughs> and uh with with like asides and improv to the audience I did the whole thing so you became popular or Richard Pryor became popular no one knew who Richard Pryor was <laughs> I was like it's hard being a black man in in, in LA and people would be like yeah it is he's great but no no I I, I once I I got a taste of getting laughed at and being not laughed at but like laughed with it changed my whole dynamic and it changed how I was at home too with kids it was kind of a seamless transition because like kids make that decision like that you know like the next day I was like people were sitting next to me Tell me more about the sunset. Tell me more about being a black man in Chicago ghetto. You know, and I'd be like, let's pull up a chair. Uh, you know, <laughs> so it was great. We'd come to school in like leather outfits like Eddie Murphy and stuff. And it was great. One of the things that researchers have found is that whatever your social class is, it tends to stay quite stable over time. Mm-hmm. But you've actually had, and I think I've also had the somewhat unusual experience of really having very different experiences at different times in our lives. Well, were you, hey, before you go on, let's turn the, let's turn the microscope back on you, big talk. <laughs> what were you like as a kid? 
so if we're talking elementary school, is that what we're talking about though? Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what you when this you is asked like me. Pre, that's preteen years. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, my first year in first grade, I didn't speak English, oh, right, so it was right. really hard for me to participate, and I actually got left back in first grade because <laughs> that's I, right, we love it. <laughs> I also wasn't used to people telling me what to do. Combined with I didn't understand the language and I didn't understand the norms of the culture. So I remember this one really kind of scary memory of my first grade my first first grade teacher the first time around (laughs) I was using a pen to write and she was telling me to use a pencil and now I did English wise understand that she was saying pencil but I didn't have the English to be like why why are you upset about me using a pen I'm doing fine and I still remember her big face kind of like getting (laughs) in my face and being like pencil pencil wow. like as though saying it louder and it's gonna it's gonna sink gonna... in that's how you learn english <laughs> volume yep. at some point i started taking advantage of the fact that people <laughs> thought that i didn't speak english like if she was like homework homework and i'd be like, like mom mm, <laughs> what i'm sorry i don't speak i don't what know is what is this welcome home like chores <laughs> i didn't even really focus on the friend side and the social side because mm-hmm. i was just so busy trying to figure out what are people saying to me? And then why are they saying it to me? And why are they saying it so loud? And why are they saying it so loud and so close to my face? Oh, so, but I think that actually nudged me onto the controversial side of things because very early on, I was like, teachers are dumb. <laughs> and I don't believe that anymore. But um, I right away didn't passionately care about getting approval yeah. from my teachers, which I think then later on helped me socially. But I was about to say, so what about the kids? In the, like, like, obviously you were a pain in the butt for your teachers. But what were you like? The with first the time other kids? around, I don't even remember kids uh-huh. there. I just remember that big face of that big teacher. <laughs> the, <laughs> the second time around, I don't know. When I look back and I look at pictures, I'm always surrounded by kids. So I don't particularly remember myself as popular, but I would say I was bossy. Like I made up dance choreography for kids and I would like write it down on sheets of paper and hand it out. The boys started the Power Rangers group. So I started the Power Girls group nice. because they weren't letting girls in. And I went to this gift shop and printed everyone's certificates so that if you wanted to join my club, you would get a certificate with your name on it. <laughs> and a stamp. And, but this was like in elementary school. <laughs> this is elementary Unbelievable. school. Unbelievable. <laughs> you went from not speaking English to starting <laughs> a revolution of sorts in, in your school. I just remember being frustrated, chronically frustrated. Uh I hated people telling me what to do. I hated how slow things went. I hated when I didn't understand something. Then as soon as I understood it, then I'd be like, okay, let's move on. So I think that, I think maybe I was somewhere half on the popular, half on the controversial side because Mm. I always, I always had a point to prove. I was always like leading a little rebellion that's so cool and it makes so, so i mean so much sense if you if y'all know tanya then you know that that makes complete sense you know what but I, mean? I do also remember like in my neighborhood it was not immigrant friendly and i remember getting this bike that we found that someone threw out mm-hmm. and it was my first bike and i was riding it and the girl who i guess had owned it would like chase me down and i think was saying some really mean things but again not <laughs> she couldn't catch it was like, Sorry, homework <laughs> i don't know what this is so people in our neighborhood were really really mean oh, wow. really aggressive but you know again it was like that combination i think of being easily annoyed by people's ignorance and not speaking enough english to be deeply offended i think mm. really protected me wow that's interesting now let's talk teenage popularity let's because talk teen. things start to change. Which social group were you in once you got to high school? Popular. So you went from neglected to controversial mm-hmm. to even having experiences when you all were having a hard time with money, being picked on, 
to then being the popular kid. Yeah. How do you think that happened? What uh, were some I started of the predictors? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, it, it was weird. Uh, sports, okay, then I was apt to be a little more of a class clown and perhaps I made a few people laugh and I was a little more open. To so you laugh. were visible. Very visible. Highly bold. Visible. But but and not. You wore leather. And I wore like wore leather. Oh my god! Don't even talk about the leather and pants. And really short shorts, from what I understand. Hey, from the that photos. was the, that was the style, baby. Eighties. <laughs> Show them thighs. Um, but no, no, I I like sixth grade was really tough for me because third, fourth, fifth grade in elementary school, I was really popular. I was funny and everything. My parents got separated or divorced in fourth, fifth grade. It was the beginning of the end for us in terms of financial stability, and this is right when things really, really got hard for us financially and emotionally and you know uh, our family broke up and it was, it was terrible so that transition into sixth grade I regressed back to not wanting to be seen not wanting to be heard um, trying to keep myself out of the everything but I was a, I was a target because I was small and we didn't have any money so all my clothes were really messed up I lived in the in a really really bad part of town so it was like really rough and they they looked at me like I was one of the white kids because I came from the north side and I, I was in this uh, predominantly Latino neighborhood and they would call me like whitewashed and stuff like you know like coconut or something and um, then I would get to school and I wasn't white enough and I was like a Latino and I was get I would get uh, crapped on for being poor mm-hmm. Latino and you know this and, and look at your clothes and those secondhand clothes and whatever so no matter so, what if you opened up or tried to so connect so yeah on either side whether it was at home right or thought I would feel safe around people that looked like me I wasn't and when I went to school I stood out like a sore thumb because I wasn't uh, as rich the only times I ever felt really like myself were the transitions on the bus I would talk to Frank Sibrian he drove the Via bus which is the city bus and I would do my homework with my dad and I would talk to him the whole time and that was the only time I ever felt he was the bus driver he was the bus driver and he would drop us off instead of dropping off to the bus stop because it was really dangerous like kind of sort of dangerous neighborhood he would drop us off at the end of our block what do you think he did for you that made you feel seen talk to me he he didn't he didn't talk to me about how short I was or how Mexican I was or how white I wasn't or how uh, dirty my clothes were or how oh you wore that shirt the same the third time this week or none of that he he would just talk to me and treat me like like a person but then seventh grade came football changed everything and now I was back on the climb socially and this is coming from someone who was voted. <laughs> What is it? Best all around? Yes. So you literally, it's almost like your school conducted research to find out <laughs> who was most popular. And you came in, was it your senior year? <clears throat> yeah, your superlatives. Like, your superlative you know, most was likely to, whatever. best all around. <laughs> it was slim pickings, though, for, in terms of best. You know all what right, I mean? Let's all be honest. Right. All my anyway, friends, so what they do you know think, what I'm What do you think led to that, either for you or in general? I knew who I was by my junior year. Uh, and that had a lot to do with me making a conscious choice to embrace acting, which wasn't really seen as like a popular thing among athletes. You know, like I used to have to sneak out of track, drive like I was going home and circle the entire school and pull into the back lot wow. to go to rehearsal. Because um, you didn't want your jock friends to I didn't know want that my, you were Well, I didn't want, yeah. A theater. Because it was seen as like a, like not as masculine thing, you know. It was, you were it was protecting really, your jeans. You didn't want to get jeans, rejected. Yeah. You were like, if they reject me, I'm going to get cold. I'm going to get the and flu. And that's going to interfere with and my ability to perform. Stinks. And then that means no kissing. So by my junior year, I, I got into a show that we perform in front of the school. And I was dreading it because it's a, it's a great honor to get into this show. But the downside is you have to show it a full day. 
like six shows a day to each period of school. Which is that means, even legal to have kids perform six times well, a day? Well, I mean, it's it's they don't it's even like, let you do that if you're a SAG no, or. But it's a tech thing, so you you work out all the kinks every show. It's you do that before That's what they you say take sweatshops. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why Just they keep made working me, out the kinks. Just I don't know why they the made us make Nikes either. But so I was like terrified, man. I was like, oh god, please, 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 Mrs. Fraser, my our drama teacher. I was like, is there anyone? Maybe uh, my understudy. She's like, you are the understudy, dummy. So I did it. I performed it, and I just went out there, and it was it was great. And my friends were they got up at the end of the show, they were screaming my name like Luna. So the yeah. jocks, the jocks, and it was great, it. man. Yeah, and then that that changed everything for me. I, I didn't. I never felt judged or I never felt like you know I got the I got the occasional comment and everything but like it wasn't but it sounds like you had a healthy popularity where mm-hmm. maybe kids looked up to you because you were being yourself I don't know about that but I do know that it was um I didn't feel like always having to be the hard ass you know or something yeah. like that in adolescence popularity really starts to change significantly and two distinct categories emerge there's still likability mm-hmm. but now there's also status Ooh. and there's often no relationship between the two it seems like among boys there is still somewhat, although it's weaker. Among girls, sometimes it's even an inverse relationship, meaning the girls who have the most status are the ones that are least liked. Oh, yeah. Like mean girls. Like mean girls. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And status can come from attractiveness and access to impressive resources like nice cars, nice clothes, high status mates, if you will. Mates? Uh, Mates. Mates? Mates. Are you saying mates? (laughs) Like boyfriends, girlfriends. Mates? You mean boyfriend? I just think boyfriend and girlfriend because mate sounds like <laughs> either we're in London or they're trying to make babies. So <laughs> no, we're not encouraging mating. And so, and among teens, aggression starts to play an important role in status. But here's something really interesting: reactive aggression, like losing your cool, is still associated with low status. Whereas proactive aggression, kind of cold, calculated hmm. aggression, like certain forms of bullying, intimidating, spreading rumors, deliberately rejecting someone socially what marion k underwood has called social aggression Mm -hmm. that's a big part of it it becomes associated with high status all the way into adulthood in many groups kids nowadays with the social aggression have it much much worse than we did because it's on broadcast because and and it's forever, forever forever also when someone started a rumor when i was growing up it had like a lifespan. So mm-hmm. you knew if you could make it to X amount until the next person effed up or whatever. Like if you, you had a... And there's always a new grade that you would start and you're like, okay, fresh start. In yeah, many ways. yeah. And then and then even not, if not your senior year, you're like, well, I'm not going to see these people again anyway. So F that. But nowadays, you know, I, I see the online bullying stuff and I read the stories and it's really hard. It's really like the parents that are experiencing this with their children. They have no idea they have no idea what it's like. And we can say, oh, I was bullied or it wasn't that bad when I was going to school. It's it's it's, it's like comparing uh, a bicycle to an airplane. And it, 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 there's no It's like way. the behaviors are the same, but the stakes are different. Stakes are and different. And what this That's research is way, showing, yeah. I would always thought of bullying as unhealthy. What this research is indicating is that it actually does help you achieve greater social status in mm. some ways. We're talking about the bullies that beat someone up. Those probably are not the popular kids, but... The bullies that find little socially aggressive ways to put someone down, to make fun of someone, to elevate themselves over others, to create these in-groups, that is actually helping them socially. I'm interested to see where this woman, you were talking about her theory, what was her name? 
Underwood? Underwood. Marion Underwood. Where she did the research, because it's also cultural. Like you said that the physical bullying probably weren't the popular kids. Where I was from Mm. in Texas, where it's a football predominant, you know. I see, so physical aggression actually. Absolutely uh, led to the most popular. Like I remember when I was a freshman, I'm not going to name names, but there was a senior there that was like, he was a monster. People knew he was and he was popular. But, I mean, yeah, he wasn't funny <laughs> by any means. He, he was barely, barely verbal, but he was like, uh, he was popular because he was like, he was a monster. Well, he... it's really interesting that you say that because you're right. The majority of the research in the U.S. that we're familiar with or in Western culture is conducted in Western culture environments. But, uh, for example, Mitch Prinstein, author of the book Popular and his mm-hmm. team, they track popularity among teens in China. And what they found is that being aggressive and disruptive in any way led to less popularity. Hmm. And the, the thinking here is that in a collectivist culture where the social value is on cooperation and collaboration, those things that are valued in more individualistic cultures like the U.S. are just going to look awful. They're going to look mm-hmm. disruptive. So in the U.S., for example, things like being talkative or outgoing, those aren't valued in China. So if you try to predict who the popular kids are in a collectivist culture using individualistic culture norms, yeah. you're going to be totally wrong. And they find that things like being quiet, being reserved, those are actually privileged or valued in hmm. a Chinese culture. And that gives us, I think, a little bit of a clue or a hint as to how we might change some of these horrible things that are going on in U.S. schools kids are playing out our social values. They're mm. playing out dominance. They're playing out aggression because yeah. that's something that we value as a culture. And they don't know, I mean, not that saying that as adults we can handle it, but like as a kid, they're wielding a, a weapon and they don't quite have the skill to yeah. pull back or you've gone too far. And it's so scary to be rejected <clears throat> that I remember in times where I was most socially aggressive, it was almost always when I was like, oh, no, this person is going to damage my reputation. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So you preemptively strike. Yeah. Now, when I say they don't know how to, I don't want to talk down any, if there are any teens listening and saying like, uh, oh, you don't know what you're doing yet. But like as a kid, you don't quite know the start stop of where Oh, it's not just that. It's also that as a teenager, our neural craving for social rewards is off the charts. So we want to be liked. We want to be accepted. But- our neocortex, the part of the brain responsible for making good decisions, mm-hmm. it's not just that we don't know how to use it. It's not even fully developed yet. So there you go. So teens, if you're listening, <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't mean to, I, I don't want to be that adult. It's like, you don't know what you're doing yet, you know, but we don't. I Look, the decisions I made growing up, you know, were affected by concussions and popularity. You, I really look back and there are some decisions, like there's some stuff that still haunts me mm-hmm. to this day about what I did. And I talked to you about it, you know, off, off podcast. Like that time you killed a man? The two times. <laughs> but like I was really physically aggressive because I was trying to figure out yeah. like eighth grade going into ninth grade. Like I was really, I would fight just to practice for a real fight. Oh my God. You know what I mean? Like I I'm would I'm so lo- sorry to I anyone would, who was Brian's no, practice. Yeah, no, but like I, we, and we all did that. Like if we were bored, we were just like, hey, punch me. Yeah. And you're like, what? Just punch me in the face and let's see. Yeah, like it was just, it was just aggression. Yeah, aggression, so you aggression. take hormones, you take underdeveloped hey i didn't take nothing what are you talking about (laughs) i'm saying if you combine going through puberty all the mess that starts to happen with hormones all the stuff that happens with kids trying to be liked on top of that if you take u.s culture aside from aggression the other predictor of popularity is doing things that adults don't want you to do or said another way not doing the things that adults want you to do (laughs) rebellion Yeah, Yeah. even there's some really fun research that looked at, can smart kids be popular? Kind of your assertion of perhaps my own intelligence (laughs) being 
uh, prohibiting factor. Well, do you want to guess? How can you be smart and popular at the same time in a Western culture? Easy on the eyes. Like that helps. You are. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Oh, maybe having a tinge of the bad girl, bad boy thing. Demonstrating that you don't care all that much and that you're not putting in a lot of effort. Interesting. Yeah, like, yeah, whatever. It's cool. Yeah. A so on like, the test, If whatever. you're doing well in school, that doesn't study. hurt you yeah. as long as you're not making it look like you're trying really hard and putting as in all As long this as you're not wearing khakis and plaid shirts. What this research is indicating is that what will be popular is very different depending on what the social norms are mm. that you're part of. And also the overarching social norms. Like, is it the right thing to stand out or is it the right thing to fit in and mm-hmm. to be part of the group? And it's complicated because in many ways, growing up being rejected or neglected can be very damaging for you long term. But also being popular can be damaging to you long term as well. For example, psychologist Joseph Allen and his team did a longitudinal study called Whatever Happened to the Cool Kids? <laughs> They found that the behaviors that worked for popular teens could become really dangerous or detrimental in later adult life, like by age 22 or so. So the things that kids were doing to be popular, like, you know, rejecting authority and not caring and smoking and doing drugs and being promiscuous and things like that, if they didn't grow out of that, they would be in just as bad a situation, if not worse, than the rejected kids. Oh, yeah. For you, did you have to make a concerted effort being a popular kid to kind of grow up and drop some of those? Yeah, there was a lot of like, um, I I had to take more responsibility for the decisions I made and the way I treated people. Like I was never uh, a mean, but things are kind of given to you. I, I equate it to like, when you're a football player in Texas growing up, young lady on the dance team is assigned to you. Uh, a couple of them, and, and maybe one of the cheerleaders assigned to you, like on game day, they bring you like all these treats, and they give you like... Um, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes, just hold on. You, <laughs> you're looking wait, at wait, me wait, wait, wait. with the most feminist look. Like, I didn't write this, this isn't so me. So you, as a young man, Here we would go. have a pretty little lady assigned to you to treat you? <laughs> it sounds worse when you say it somehow. What? No, not treat. They wouldn't like. So <laughs> they would bring you like. This is going to sound weird. Um, it already does. So, so you like, may as well the, continue. So on the on game day or pep rally day, they would bring you like boutonnieres, which are the you know the little flower things that with the cowbell ding a ling a ling. So they didn't even have a choice in the matter. Uh, maybe they did. I don't know. I never had anyone not bring me anything. So maybe they did. Maybe they didn't go all out. Like if you had like one of my friends that maybe they didn't like. Maybe he didn't get like a long boutonniere. Maybe he didn't get like drinks Okay, and stuff. so they had choice in, they didn't have a choice in whether to give you the boutonniere, but they had a choice in how nice the boutonniere would be. I'm not sure what the choice level was. <laughs> let's, let's be clear. But my point is, you were served on hand and so foot. So yeah, you you they give you like they get maybe they might make you a t-shirt, they might make you buttons, they're they might stitching you, you clothing. No, they're not stitching. They're they're so I I remember getting these boxers with my number. They gave you boxers. Yeah, I remember getting these boxers with oh my, my with my with my jersey number on the on the like. So the you thigh. when you graduated, your no. head was so big you floated <laughs> no, out of no, high what, school. The point I'm making is. You have to realize that not everything's going to be given to you. Uh, mm-hmm. That was one of the conscious things. Like once I got to college, <laughs> this sounds the, like an experiment, like a scientific experiment feel... in feeling privileged. <laughs> and they were like, "How do we trick these kids into thinking they deserve all of this?" But it's only for the season. And oh, you it's know, only for oh, okay, it's, it's only, only for, for the, the football season. season. And then I after see. that, they they don't have to give me stuff anymore. But then you know, I don't know. Other seasons happen. Anyway, mm. the point is is that you go from 
getting praise for with for for doing something that you you know you you love or whatever, and they're bringing they're actually bringing you gifts. They're they're adorning you with like in in gladiator days with flowers and chocolates and. Uh, well, I didn't eat chocolate. I'm allergic to it. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry um, for you. Yeah, I remember getting that a gumball been so machine. Difficult. One year, I got a gumball. One 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 week, I got a gumball machine because I had I had like three. Okay, so you're coming out of high school just oblivious to the reality of your own flaws. Yes, and 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 especially if you're a football player in Texas, there's a huge reality shift that you have to make. Like when I was in when I went to college, my first year, I was the youngest person in my level or, or my in my class, and it was hard because like. The workload came as a surprise <laughs> because there was no one there to, you know, do your homework help. For no, you? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Uh, but it was just weird because, like, you know, the, you go from being treated a particular way, like, uh, like a, like a gladiator, mm-hmm. to then being just a regular, just a regular person. person. There's movies about it where people go back, uh, like in Superman three. You know, Clark Kent goes back to. Smallville to see his Flash and Flash is the guy who used to pick on him and now he's this like drunk guy who's like hey Clark man he's still wearing his, his uh, Letterman jacket you know and he's right. like right yeah. you hear that where a and lot it, of people who so to speak peaked in high school I hate this term no, but, but, that's, but it's you keep trying to go back or hold on to or the thing that worked on to for that you. glory. So since we are in LA home of fame and glamour mm-hmm. before we wrap up let's talk a little bit about adult status seeking no offense la so even in adulthood many of us still care a lot about status and trying to be popular even if it's just on instagram i was just gonna say and it's which we're trying to do right now by the Mm -hmm. way so far we've just started but we have so far we're neglected we're neglected (laughs) and we're a little bit controversial no we're we're more neglected (laughs) to be fair we just joined a week ago so let's see if you want to be one of our 24 followers and be number 25 or whatever i don't know i don't know should we do? Should we? Uh, should we give a shout out to follower number one hundred? No, 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 no. I hate that. All if right. you like me, follow me. All oh. right, follower number one hundred, you will be neglected. <laughs> Brian Luna will not pay attention I to will you. Not pay attention to you. So it's true that achieving popularity comes with lots of privileges. In fact, privileges I didn't even know about, like people giving you gifts and doing your homework for you. No, I, no, on. I never said homework. Moving on. I never said homework. But it's true, even in adulthood, right? You're if you're popular, so to speak, whether it's in social media or in your workplace, people listen to you more. You mm-hmm. get invitations to things. You get access to certain things that other people don't get access to. So popularity is legitimately valuable, but. It also, even in adulthood, comes with a major cost. For example, researchers have found that people who achieve fame often experience extreme loneliness and suspicion. It's almost like the inverse of popularity all of a sudden happens and you start to feel neglected because you're not sure are people really liking me for me or are they just trying to use me and use my my popularity or like what we talked about in a previous episode, are they berging, basking in reflected glory? Asking, reflecting. Like, are they trying to get in a picture with me sure. just to use my fame? Yeah. And fame also, as you have mentioned, popularity, fame, whatever, those social rewards can become really addicting, leading to this constant dependency on social rewards, almost like a drug, right. which then makes you do really stupid things. Well, to stay in the limelight. I and mean, mm-hmm. we see it all the time with, like, internet stars and things like that that do all these weird things and, like, go on these TV shows and... I think one of the things that's dangerous about popularity and fame is that it is fleeting. Mm. And you see that also at a young age. Like you can see the most popular girl or boy in school fall really hard. And then the next person takes their place. So you see that 
that it's fleeting and and it can and take it drives really, really bad behavior sometimes like it could lead you to try to purchase really impressive things you know and spend your money on things that essentially are like peacock feathers instead of really looking out for your future it could lead to anxiety depression because you've tasted this drug of yeah. fame popularity and now you're stuck in that cycle constantly craving it you know constantly checking how many likes you got versus just living your life and yeah. enjoying it so how do we break the cycle, Brian? Let's well, hear it from best all around. No, no, stop. No, no, no. I, I think it really does. You need friends to keep you grounded. And that was one of the things that I loved about our group of friends and even my family is that we constantly, constantly made fun of one another. And we chipped at each other and like my brother and my cousin Rick. Mm, like So people kept you from kept your head you from, getting too oh big. Oh my God. I There was no, I never had a big head because. Well. Sweet, well, no, come on, I didn't. Because, like, sweet Jesus, like, even you, like, if you see me getting... I see it as my job to... <laughs> Please, we can barely fit sure this hotel room with... We had to move hotel room so we can fit your ego in here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I actually do, no joke, appreciate that about our relationship. While we praise each other and support each other, the moment one of us praises ourselves, it's like <laughs> game over. What, are you, what did you tell me when you first we first, like, started getting... That I make fun of you and you've never had anyone to make fun of you before. Yeah, I would say that the individuals that I've been in relationships before were far more doting, loving, respectful, <laughs> supportive. <laughs> but I really mean it. I feel like, you know, when I'm down, you pick me up. And when I'm up, you put me down. So I'm I, constantly in a good, healthy, average state. <laughs> and I feel like we do that. We provide that service for each other. I, and growing up, you asked me, like, how do we fix that? It sounds like... I was like, had an easy time through high school and everything like that. And it, it didn't. It had its ups and downs. And it was really, really hard. A lot of transitions, a lot of stuff happening personally. And it was hard to keep my head up. But the one thing I could always count on is my friends to make fun of me. We kept each other humble, I think. That's important because it can become really delusional. You know, Absolutely. We'll talk about this maybe in future episodes. But power, for example, individuals in power, like we talk about this concept in psychology called CEO disease, which is <laughs> once you become more and more powerful in terms of your authority, people bring you less and less and less bad news they challenge you less they give you less negative feedback my own experience as a co-ceo i have not had this experience <laughs> you're People waiting for it very open <laughs> very very excited about the things to give I'm you doing wrong. <laughs> but i appreciate that i love that yeah, I think, yeah. That's... And I think it does i think being humble is is the key instead of thinking uh, like your phrase you peaked in high school I, it's a horrible thing if you if you keep one foot there all the time. But just like any great progressive thing, those steps have to keep moving forward. And you can't move forward if you've got one foot mired in the past. And I think that by having new experiences, all that stuff doesn't mean anything. Like we talked about popularity now and high school used to mean the world to me, especially my first year in college because it was so tough and I was so isolated. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know. And I was like, man, I wish I was back in high school. And every time I thought that, I was like, that's probably not right. Mm. I don't know why. I couldn't explain it then. But it just didn't feel right that going back home meant that I was – that it meant something. Because here I was in the biggest city in the world and I had this wonderful opportunity and I couldn't waste it by thinking, oh, my God, I wish I was – It can be comforting. That's yeah, why I think a yeah. lot of people try to recreate or relive those experiences when they had the most social acceptance. Yeah. My own takeaway from this research and, and this conversation is that if we have popularity and influence of any kind – we have to be really mindful of the standards that we're setting for others. Hmm. Because if we want to change what's going on in schools, what's going on among kids, we have to make those healthier, better behaviors 
cool, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to flaunt being open-minded yeah. and or caring others. and giving yeah. a shit. And regardless of where we are in terms of our social influence, I think we have to surround ourselves with people whose norms we aspire to. So communities with values that we share and where that definition of cool and popular is healthy and positive, which is why I like to be around you, Brian. Oh, and I like to be around you, Tanya Luna. That's really sweet. And you, dear listeners, are so cool for listening to Talk Psych to Me. And if you like what you've heard and want to help us in our pursuit of making psychology (laughs) fun and accessible and more popular, please subscribe leave feedback or share on social media and help make me something called an influencer i'm trying to help figure out brian what... recreate yeah. his status as best all <laughs> yeah. around i think listeners you should make us influencers because we're going to influence people to do really good things really good things and, and like influencer also sounds like like a lame x-men villain yeah and also if you don't like or share you're totally lame totes lame yeah stop trying to make not sharing happen yeah. it's not gonna happen yeah the cool thing to do is to share this podcast um i'm sharing it now tweet 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 we hope to hang out with you again next week listeners and thank you for listening to talk, talk psych to me, me.